Hello and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Big Boy's Cigar Lounge in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. Couldn't come up with an adjective. I, I couldn't. I mean, this is two weeks in a row from the same spot, and I didn't feel like, I mean, just because it's soggy both times, I didn't feel like that st- was still appropriate. I, I I tried sultry, and you made fun of me for that. So I did, but nobody's ever referred to my hometown as sultry. I don't get that a lot, so it was, it's interesting to hear you refer to it that way. It was the only S adjective I could come up with at the time. Well, so a little bit of, I'm, I'm going to let the the listeners in on the big the big secret and uh, we're actually recording two podcasts at the I same did week. such a good job at skirting around that I know, I know. and you just I, I had to crap cr- all over oh, gotta it. crush it i feel it grinding under my boot heel it's mm. so satisfactory yeah i'm glad you're leaving next week now i am too at <laughs> all <laughs> uh, next week is my so next week is my annual family camping trip we have cousins come from new mexico cousins come from michigan Cousins come from all over the country, and all of us congregate on the banks of the Tennessee River for a week of fishing. Does it ever make you wonder why they feel the need to live so far away from you the rest of the year? Oh, no. I try not to dwell on these things. <laughs> and all, but we go there, and we don't, we're not serious. We catch brim. We enjoy ourselves. We fish every day. We relax. I'll smoke a couple of good cigars. We'll joke. And it's funny because this was actually all started by my grandmother and her brother's. And now my grandmother's passed, and only one brother is left. And he's 80, I think he's 87's Uncle William this year. And uh, so it's kind of, it's going to be interesting after he passes to how do you keep these traditions going. Yeah. And uh, But we've done a good job of his sons and my father of all, you know, my father's in his 60s, his sons are in their 60s. So we've done a good job of kind of keeping the fire burning. Right. And all, and so I imagine someday the responsibility will fall to me of being sure this camping trip gets pulled off. Oh, I'm sure it will. Well, but, but that fits right in your personality. And I've 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 met your immediate family. I've met all of your immediate family, and and you have the, you all have a very similar personality. But you have the the most go get itness uh, to to be able to rally the troops. Yeah, and that's important. The ability to rally is important. The the robustness. Of being able to say, "Hey, this is really important." In 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 my family, it's my dad. But when you know, and hopefully, fifty years from now, when he passes, it'll fall to my sister. You know, but so we've already got that logical progression, and then I think it'll probably end up falling either to to my daughter or to my niece. They've both got that little bit in them too. Yeah, and it's it's important. It's it's really important, and all. There's nothing sadder than when you have an annual event. And the linchpin kind of passes away, and then you may do it a year or two after, and then it falls apart. That just that breaks my heart. Yeah. So that's that's where I'll be while y'all are releasing are listening to this. It'll be Friday night uh, when this drops in two weeks, and we'll be at the fish fry. We will have caught all the fish and cleaned them, and we'll be having our Friday night fish fry before we all break camp and head home on Saturday. That's a I, I'm I'm excited for you. I know how much you look forward to this trip every year, but. Let's talk about what we're going to smoke. Yeah, I'm excited about this, too. So, Robbie actually gave us our cigars for the podcast this week. And I'll thank you for Robbie at Big Boy Cigars here. And I'll, what are you looking around for? I thought I thought I just saw someone walk by. Don't worry about it. Okay, you're seeing ghosts. I'm afraid of my shadow. Okay. <laughs> it's two more weeks of spring. 
But so we, we're smoking a little different cigar. I, you know, last week we talked about the Plasencias and the microchip. Yeah. And all, or actually two weeks ago now, we talked about Plasencias <laughs> and the microchip. And all, I'm smoking the Plasencia Alma Fuerte. And this is a hexagon 6x60. And yours is specifically the 601. Yes. And it's all it's Nicaraguan origin, Nicaraguan binder, filler. Um, the wrapper's Nicaraguan. This is a Nicaraguan Puro. Uh, I've already cut it and done the cold draw. The cold draws taste excellent. So I'm really excited to get this cigar lit up and give it a try. Yeah, I'm I'm equally... So we're... We're smoking the same but different cigar. So I'm smoking the Sixto 2, and I'm looking on the Placencia website, and I don't actually see the difference between the two. But this is uh, Nicaraguan uh, Puro, and uh, saying it's saying medium full, which from, from oh my gosh, that smells amazing. Or does it taste like that just from the first? I mean, just to light it up. It's rare that somebody else lights a cigar and I instantly go, oh, that smells good. It does. It has a great, great cold draw, great flavor on the initial light. I've got to do just a little bit of touch up. But, yeah, I'm very, um, I, I really, and, of course, Nicaraguan tobacco will probably always be my favorite. I think so, too. I, I, you know how much I love Dominican, but there is something about... There's definitely something about Nicaraguan tobacco that just hits both of our palates really, really well. But I know it's, it's a, my turn to talk. No, <laughs> I, I saw you were. But so, yeah, so a hexagonal box press. I, to my knowledge, these are the, this is the only company doing that. I think I've seen it maybe one other time. But for my knowledge, I, I can't tell you I've ever smoked a hexagonal box press before. Well, and I've kind of steered clear of these for the same reason you have. It's price tag. Mm -hmm. They're a little bit on the pricey side. You know, they're not Padron money, but they're flirting with it. Um, But if this pans out, it could very well become something that, you know, sometimes you have cigars that you splurge on and all. And I like having a good splurge cigar. The the Goldie is a great splurge cigar for me. When I'm going to do something special and be somewhere special, the Goldie is always something I'm going to go to. So really, really, um, the initial draw is excellent. The flavor is good. What's yours like? The same. You know, I'm not typically a 6 by 60 smoker, but it's it's the cigar. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's a, we're, we're recording without mic stands this weekend, and I'm a little off my game. You know, it... it it's a cigar that only comes in one size, you know, and so I, I like that. So I, you know, I will I will venture outside of my comfort level in that regard. Very similar. It's it's got a sweetness to the aroma and to the flavor, the draw. I don't typically like the draw on a six by sixty, but it's great. Uh, I'm at at first blush, I'm I'm impressed. So our first article from Cigar Journal. May 31st, 2021, Fourth International Enjoy a Cigar Day. That Which happens, will have been last week by the time this goes out. That, well, but Enjoy a Cigar Day. Now, that's the same day as Hot Dog on a Stick Day and Shave Your Wiener Dog Day. <laughs> Shave Your Wiener Dog Day? Well, they started with Shave Your Wiener and people were getting the wrong idea. So Shave Your Wiener Dog Day is what we had to change it to. <laughs> well, well, why not do both? You've got the clippers out. <laughs> 
<laughs> we won't get into what you do first. <laughs> but Yeah, I don't think there's a right answer to that. <laughs> yeah, that could go wrong on both directions, yeah. but international enjoy your cigar enjoy a cigar day. Um the point of that joke being there's so many of these days. So I listened to a podcast called The Ralph Report. And uh, it's a spinoff, if you will, from the Kevin and Bean show that I used to listen to on the radio. And one of the segments he does every day, because it's a daily podcast, is holiday or holiday. And essentially, if you look at any day on the calendar and you look at, you know, you know, talk like a pirate day or, you know, 25 cent sonic corndog day or, you know, any of these, there are a multitude of, you know, hamster appreciation days. On the calendar, and 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 the idea, and I I don't think we need more of that. I think you can have your Jeep Wrangler Day, you can have your uh, you know polka dot awareness day, and your you know your tube sock appreciation day. I don't think we need to earmark the calendar for all of these things. And every day, smoke a cigar day. But. In their defense. So this was organized by Cigar Rights of Europe and Cigar Rights of America. And it coincides with World Tobacco Day. And I'll, but I like the... So I nope, like the hang point. on. World No Tobacco Day. Oh, this world. is a middle finger holiday. Oh, this is. Okay, well that makes it even better. It does. It, it's, it's, sweet, it's quickly heading to holiday, not holiday. Right. And I'll, but on this day, consumer organizations want to draw attention to the following. And I'm not going to hit all of these, but I'm going to hit the ones I like. The cigar is a luxury product enjoyed by discerning adults as an indulgence, not a habit. That each premium cigar is a natural product. The enjoyment of cigars can contribute to one's personal well-being by offering moments of solace, contemplation, and fellowship. And that patrons of cigars and producers and sellers contribute to their communities, support charities, and believe in the right to personal freedom. That thousands of jobs are maintained in the agriculture industry and commerce, especially in countries that need that. And my favorite, that cigar culture should be assigned world heritage status. See, I'm I'm almost against that one. I, I knew you would be. And all, but I, but I don't want to be part of any club that have me as a member. Right, but at the same time, I I appreciate that if so, you know, we have World Heritage sites, you know, like the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris and the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy. You know, we've got these sites that UNESCO has decided are are gifts to humanity and must be preserved. And I like this idea of a hobby or an activity being granted world heritage status. I mean, you wouldn't have seal clubbing as an activity, as achieving world heritage status. You you know, you wouldn't have shark finning, anything like that, but cigar smoking? I I think there are enough stories associated with cigar smoking and the contributions to the world of the people who enjoy cigars that the activity in and of itself is does provide or, or should be granted world heritage status. I, I like the idea that, that the cigar and the act of smoking a cigar has had such a significant impact on humanity. I do enjoy that. I do think the premise, one of the premises they missed in their um, 
what do you call this, manifesto? Sure. <laughs> of things they're trying to get across. I think they missed that there's a cigar for everybody. Right. Whatever you want to spend, there's a cigar in that price range. Not in Europe. Well, <laughs> in America. Home of the free, land of the brave, greatest country in the world. Um, if you say so. In America, absolutely say so. I'll take you outside. But anyway, the you can buy a great cigar that costs $6. Right. You can buy a great cigar that costs $20. Yeah. And, I'll, and I think that's one of the things they kind of miss because, you know, we always talk about fighting the monopoly man image of people sitting and smoking cigars. Mm-hmm. So I really like that they have done a good job of kind of combating that. I, th- I think they could do a better job of combating that image in their now, manifesto here. I do, too, that it's a holiday for everybody. You know, in as much as any other holiday I can think of, this really is for everyone. The cigars, you know, as long as you're of age in the country that you reside in, you know, therefore, there's there's no one uh, cast aside from this hobby. Well, and speaking of cigar prices, and uh, we're about to do an article on a new cigar and if this cigar, this is interesting, if this cigar costed $14, I would never have mentioned this article. Right. And I'll Camacho Factory Unleashed Toro ships this week. It's, they're calling it a Toro at 6 inches by 50 ring gauge. That, that's a little thin for a Toro in my book. Yeah, that is. That's that's just a little smaller. Usually, Toro, you're going to be fifty four, fifty six. Yeah, I, I feel like you're kind of in you know extra long robusto category here. But I think the people at Davidoff figured out we're going to have to sell this cigar based on price until Bec- we get people to smoke it. Because Camacho lost their counterculture status when Davidoff took them over. You know. Camacho's branding and advertising used to be very similar to Drew Estates in the type of cigar smoker that they were going after. You know, the the Room 101 crowd, the you know, the Drew Estate crowd, like that was they they were all kind of in the same boat. And and then Camacho kind of lost the edginess. And then they kind of priced themselves out. What are they? They're almost 12 bucks in the humidor these yeah. days. And they're a good cigar. I love Camachos, but they're a $10 cigar. Yeah, if I can have, it, this is always the barrier for me. I can smoke an Avo for what I can smoke a Camacho for, and an Avo is consistently a better cigar. Yeah, yeah. So I, no, so I do think this is them recognizing that they may have priced themselves out of the, the Camacho image. So it's going to be a multi-country blend with a dark Ecuadorian Corojo wrapper, Honduran binder and filler from Honduras, Nicaragua, and the Dominican Republic. And I'm, I'm sorry, it, the Torres of Davidoff of Geneva says contains a high-octane strain of Corojo tobacco. What does that even mean? Are they trying to say it's Lajero? From the Corojo plant? I think that, yeah, I think they're, this is going to be Corojo from the top of the plant. Yeah. And all is what they're trying to say. And it may just be a marketing gimmick. Mm-hmm. And all, we may be reading too much of it. But retail price is $7.80 a stick. 
And that's that's a cigar under eight. That's a good price. They're only they're going to come out in crates of a hundred. And I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around this because it says only a thousand crates were good. So that's a hundred thousand cigars. How? I mean, that seems they're calling it a limited edition, and it and it is because it's a, a specified quantity. But that seems like a huge release for a limited edition cigar to me. Well. But at that price point, here, here's the tough part. I don't think we're going to see these pop up in a lot of locations. You know, there, there are still Camacho shops out there. But here's the problem. You know, if you, if you ask the average cigar guy, hey, I want to sell you this brand new unproven cigar at $7.80 a stick, but you got to buy 100 of them. Yeah, so that's, that's a big ask. Yeah, so that's $780. And then, so you're asking the shop owner to to go in for half of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, it is a big ask, especially because, like we've said before, the biggest issue with 100 pack crates is shelf space. I don't know a whole lot of retailers that are going to give up that much real estate in their humidor to one cigar, especially at that price point. Yeah, so it's it's interesting marketing. It's an interesting marketing technique that they've done, and I'm sure that the folks at Davidoff have run the numbers, and there's a complicated marketing principle behind this. I'm sure there is. If nothing else, I believe that their marketing department knows what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. I definitely get behind that. And also, it's going to be interesting to see how this works and how this comes out. And I'll, I'll smoke it. I'll definitely smoke it if it shows up. And I don't know that I'll necessarily go after it like a, a quest for the Holy Grail, but I'll when I walk into a shop and see them, I'll definitely pick one or two up to try. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a shop, maybe two in the area that I can think of that might bring this in. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if if it makes it to a shelf near us. Yeah, if if they're willing to invest the the shelf space on an unproven cigar, and uh, this is one they kind of would had needed to launch sort of like they did the Undercrown 10, kind of get a groundswell behind it and get out, get a bunch of them out there in the market and kind of get people excited for it. I think so too. But I also think that's part of the reason. I mean, if you're going to release a hundred thousand cigars at $7 and 80 cents each, surely you have the, the backstock of raw tobacco to be able to turn this into a regular release when it takes off. That's my guess. I think this is their dipping the toe into the water. Well, speaking of the Underground 10, very excited for that cigar to get get on the shelves and get the events going and everything. Mm-hmm. Another new Drew Estate release, the return of the Pope of Greenwich Village. So this is an exclusive cigar to smoke in. They did this once before. Of course, they sold out of them. Right. And now they're making another batch of these. And uh, they're going to be offered um, short Lancero 6x40 Vitola. That's, that's not in my wheelhouse of size. No, it's not for me either. But neither one of us are close enough to smoke in to be able to run out and grab one of these anyway. Yeah, so it'll debut in a virtual event hosted by Drew, by Jonathan Drew and Dabney, who's the owner of um, Smoke In, on May 27th at 7 p.m. They'll be in 10-count soft packs and at $99.95 for a 10-count pack. And not I'll, bad. Not a bad deal. I mean, it's a, but I don't know. I, I'm not excited. I'm not as excited about this cigar 
this to me feels like a cigar that you smoke to put on the Drew Estate page that you smoked it. Well, it, but the, and that's the issue with shop exclusive cigars. You know, it's you're creating buzz around a cigar not because of the quality of the cigar, but because of the the story and because of the exclusivity. And, you know, I, I just don't... If you want to make a house cigar, make a house cigar. If you want to make a widely publicized special edition that's limited to one shop, I, that being said, I, I mean, I realize I'm going to be talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but I did really like the Sanctuary for Smoker's Abbey, and that's exactly the same kind of model that we're talking about here. Well, also, when, you look at, when, you know, when you're looking at this, the smoke exclusive, <laughs> Drew Estate has the right culture to do that. Uh-huh. Their culture works. And I'm convinced, you know, you talk about the Bauhaus that was released that was a European cigar. If you follow the Drew Estate Facebook page, I'm fairly convinced there's more Bauhaus in the United States than in Europe at this point. <laughs> that everybody's you think just there's a Drew Estate the... smuggling ring out there somewhere? Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a crate full of Bauhauses coming into the shipyard at Tampa any day now. And all because it seems that there's no trouble to acquire a Bauhaus. I I would say if I wanted a Bauhaus, I could acquire one within two weeks, yeah. probably with a week to spare. Two weeks, considering I'm going to be on vacation next week. Right. So give you give yourself an extra week. Yeah, give myself an extra week just in case if I if I really was motivated to acquire that and all. But that's just a very interesting thing. So. We got a fully loaded show on the back half, so I want to break just a little bit early because I, I hate when we rush our topic. I agree. And all, but the, our topic ties directly in with this smoking exclusives and also even with the world heritage portion of this. Yeah, it really does. So we're going to step away for a break. We'll be back here in a minute. to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from Trey. And in lieu of a bump joke this week, I have to ask you a question. All right. And I'll, so we've been having a lot of fun with Will Trey eating. Mm-hmm. And I'm laying off of that for a week. And I'll, I'm going to let them build up. But thank you all for sending them in. I'm keeping them stored up for a future episode. But here's my question. As the host, or the, the focus of Will Trey eating, it made me think. If you could be the host of Jeopardy! Or the price is right. Which would you choose? Ooh. Now, hang on. I've got I've I've got my thoughts on this too. Okay. And I'll um, I think I know which one you will choose. See, and it's for the same reason that I think you would choose every, the, everything else. No, <laughs> you, you think I know which one you think I'll pick, and so I'll but no. So okay, let me talk through this a little bit. I'm a huge fan of Jeopardy. Uh, and they're looking for a host right now, as it turns out. Um, but Price is Right would be so much fun. I mean, there's so much more energy and there's so much more going on. Now, that doesn't necessarily fit my personality type, but uh, assuming I, it, it's it's really a coin flip. I I don't know. I think I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Price is Right. 
Oh, okay. Are you saying that because you think that I thought you would host Jeopardy? No, no. I think I think the fun factor of the activity and the excitement around Price is Right would would overshadow being the host of the most popular quiz show uh, of all time. Well, so Jeopardy, you know, the leader in the clubhouse is LeVar Burton. Everybody wants LeVar Burton to become the host of Jeopardy. Right. And I think he is, here was always the thing about Alex Trebek, is there was always a little bit of, you hate to call it pretentiousness, but there was a countenance to him, like, I can't believe you didn't know who, <laughs> who Not a, first wrote in 1896 the Iliad. Right. <laughs> he, he always looked disappointed when nobody knew the answer to the super obscure final Jeopardy question that's yeah. hard by, by intention. Well, he always read the, read the answer right. like, oh, I know this. I'm just saying this for yes. all you peons yes. out there. And I thought that the pretentiosity I knew you would. of no. Jeopardy would attract you. Well, no, I mean, and don't get me wrong. I, I do love Jeopardy. For me, it was never the way he responded to someone getting the answer wrong. It was always the way he pronounced uh, foreign words or, or words in a different language. And it was like he would always get, he would stop his cadence of the way he spoke to specifically pronounce it with the perfect accent for whatever language it was written in. And that was always just like, come on. Well, you know, when you look at, so game show host, that's the golden ticket. Greatest man. gig on the planet. Absolutely. Any jo- no job compares to game show hosts. You gang record them, so you get it all done. Yeah. You record a week's worth of shows in one day. Right. You just change clothes. Is all you got to do is change clothes and keep your energy up. Right. And uh, I think the toughest game show to host is Family Feud because well, Steve Harvey has set the bar. I was, that's what I was just about to say. I, I think Steve does a great job, but I think anybody who follows that is gonna have. I think the show will cease to be when he hangs when he hangs up the mustache. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think he set the bar so high. I think I could do Wheel of Fortune. I think I think Pat Sajak, um, Vanna White. I think I could do Wheel of Fortune with no trouble. Yeah, I think that there's a certain, but it's. I don't know. There's just not a lot. You you know at least you get the pretentiousness and the intelligence factor at Jeopardy. You get the excitement of a press your luck or card sharks or whatever. Wheel of Fortune is just it's got the same energy level as as Jeopardy, but well, none of the. <laughs> I, don't get me wrong, I love the show, but well, they put Wheel of Fortune, and this is a Dennis Miller thought. I'm stealing a Dennis Miller thought. They put Wheel of Fortune after Jeopardy. So you don't feel so stupid going into prime time. <laughs> that makes if you, sense. If you didn't answer a single question on Jeopardy, you can at least then, get the before and after on Wheel of Fortune. Right. You rock it out on Wheel of Fortune, which is a much easier game by the nature of it. Right. And also, I, but I, but now Price is Right. That's because don't get me wrong. Bob Bob Barker's a classic. Drew Carey's done a great job. Um, Drew Carey is a little flat for me, but I, he he has that delivery. That's part Any, of his charm. But any time a comedian loses as much weight as Drew lost, you lose your sense of humor with it. I don't know what it is, that, but skinny people can't be funny. I mean, look at this show. You're, you're way funnier on the podcast than I am. Skinny people just aren't as funny. 
wow, that's the most backhanded compliment I have ever received in my life. <laughs> did, you, did you throw your back out getting that one around there? I, I did a little bit. I feel, but, but I'm kind of, I am kind of proud of you on a certain level for the for the amount I dish out from this chair to you. I I, I doff my cigar to you, sir, because I do. I do appreciate how hard you worked for that one. <laughs> and, all. And, and the fact that this question came out of nowhere and you didn't have a chance to rehearse it makes it that much better. Right. But, okay, <laughs> well, you're not going to get no better than that. We're going to talk about an article. All right. <laughs> and all. Winston Churchill's painting gifted to Cuban cigar dealer estimated to sell for 2 million pounds. That's 2.83 million U.S. dollars. See, that saves me from having to look at the markets today. There you go. And a Winston Churchill painting given to his Cuban cigar supplier as a token of friendship is estimated to sell in the region at Christie's of London. Makes you wonder what painting he gave to his cigar valet, as we talked about on the show a few months ago. Do you think this is the same guy? Oh, no. No, I think this is, de- I think this is definitely different. This is the guy yeah. who the cigar valet was working with. Well, and I will say the painting, they've got a picture of it here. It's not without its charm. It's not. It's... Don't the, the the twisted part of my mind wants to see a Churchill painting and a Hitler painting side by side, and see if there was any evidence to the outcome based on artistic talent. That that is the twisted side of your mind. Hey, I recognize that. But I mean, you know, this to me is the pinnacle. If you're the collector, if you're the Churchill collector. I don't care how many three-quarter burned cigar butts you have encased in loose sight at your house. The painting's got a trumpet. I don't care how many of his hats you own, how many of his suits, whatever. I don't think anything touches the painting, does it? I, I don't think it does. You know, it's not a, it's not a masterpiece painting. You know, it's, it, it's up there with Bob Ross. Okay. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's skillful. It's charming. What I think is interesting is apparently uh, Antonio Girardier, I'm guessing, um, was uh, sent him all of his cigars free of charge. So it's not just that he was like the supplier. He was he was gifting them. So this was kind of a, you know, so he sold it at auction in 1993 for thirty two thousand pounds. I'd love to know what that is in today's dollars. I feel like that's six figures. Probably. And I'll, but now this is also interesting. They're estimating it's going to go at the two million pounds. Uh, I'm going to... I'm taking the over. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely taking the over because another painting from this series, Tower of Kudubai Mosque, sold for 8.3 million at Christie's of London in March. 8.3 million pounds. So that's 11 million dollars? Uh... Somewhere therein? Yeah, it's a, sure. I think so. Something like that. And yeah. it was estimated to go for a million and a half to two and a half million pounds. Yeah, so similar estimate. Plus, um, okay, you've got, the, you've got everything going for this painting. It's a cigar guy. Cigar guys tend to have, be on the wealthier side. We were, you were just talking about trying to combat that stereotype. Well, I, do. I understand, but stereotypes exist for a reason. And I think, you know, it's Churchill, it's from a cigar dealer, it's got, you know, Cuban-type influence there. 
I really, I think this thing's going to, I think this thing could easily bust 10 million. Yeah, I, I think it could too. I mean, especially, um, yeah, especially because he is so well tied to to cigars. And so this having that further connection to him as a person and what he was famous for, I think really helps push this over the line. So Mega Millions is at $500 million. Let's say this week I win the Mega Millions jackpot. You, you know the guy. Say I went and bought this picture to gift to a friend of mine. <laughs> what, do you th- what do you think his res- – do you think he could accept this, this gift? I don't think he could because he, he would be dead from the heart attack. <laughs> you think he'd just fall? You think I, he'd just I think he'd just off? faint like a Victorian princess. <laughs> I declare. <laughs> no, just fall out totally. Yes. At all, but I, I was just thinking about that today because we have a friend who's a fellow cigar smoker who's one of the biggest Winston Churchill. If you ever want to burn three and a half hours, mention Churchill in his presence. I, I would say he is the foremost amateur expert on Churchill. Barring anyone who has studied Churchill in a formal academic setting, I would say he is the foremost amateur expert on Churchill. Well, it, just mark my words. I win the, I win the jackpot this week. I will go purchase this and give it to him. All right. I, I will be interested to see if he would, if he would be able to accept it. I don't. I don't know that he could have words with which to accept it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I'll, he'd spend everything he owned trying to secure it. And <laughs> <laughs> all. Well, so it's funny you say that. I um, when I was working in the restoration industry, we were working for a family uh, that uh, there was an old lady who was, was all that was left, but. Um, they had an original Matisse that was valued at double-digit millions of dollars. And that was, that was you know, they were, it was obviously in a house that, that you would expect to see a $10 million painting in, but nothing extravagant, the, the furniture, the thing. And they, as, would you mind putting something over that while you paint? Because it's kind of valuable. Like, hey, Trey, stop striking matches off the Matisse. <laughs> You're killing me. But I just thought that was so good. I mean, this is, a, this is a painting that they actually, you know, if you've ever been to an art museum, you say on loan from the Gilbert family or, or whatever it is, you know, that's how a lot of these things. And so they would, they would ship this thing off to, you know, galleries and museums on loan and stuff like that. But when it was at home, it was just affixed to the wall, like a normal painting. I found that fascinating. So dreams are important. This kind of brings us around to our topic. Dreams are important. It's, imp- it's fun to sit back and say, if I won the lottery, what would I do? And not think about the practical stuff, you know, hey, I'm going to, going to feed a couple of orphans and we'll save a couple of whales um the just the the fun gratuitous things to oh, do oh yeah yeah the water park in your backyard so one of the you're a big baseball fan i am um so what is the uh baseball stadium challenge thing tell me all about yeah it. so i said i think it actually started with a father and son back in like the 80s of just they were both big baseball fans they used to go to games together and it became i think it may have been something like a bucket list one of them was terminal so they decided they were going to try and see catch a game in every major league ballpark in the country 
And enough people, I guess, caught wind of it, or maybe enough people just had the same idea at the same time. But now it's become kind of a thing to see a baseball game in every stadium across the country. So do you have to do that all in one season, or is it spanned out over seasons? How does that work? Everyone, I mean, there's no official, like MLB doesn't give you a trophy or anything for accomplishing it. I'm sure if you did it in a season, that would be a heck of an accomplishment. But there's 180 games per team, so it probably wouldn't be that hard if you had enough free time. It seems to me amply doable. It's not like an NFL trying to do it with the NFL. Right, yeah, because then you've you've got more teams than you have weeks in the season. That wouldn't work. Right. but, yeah, I, I don't think there's a, there's a hard, fast rule. It has to be in one season. Uh, but I think that would be a cool way to try and do it. You know, we were having a conversation in my house just two nights ago about, you know, 20 years from now when, you know, we're, we're looking to downside and, and hopefully becoming empty nesters and, you know, what, what we're going to do. And I said, we're going to sell the house and get an RV and travel the country. I was like, I've got 20 years to talk you into that. But... <laughs> By then, maybe we're gonna. Do it. I was like, and then all he's playing the slow game, folks. <laughs> hey, it's it's worked so far, and so I was I was like, that way I can see a, a baseball game in every stadium, and you know, at the time I figured out something for her. I don't remember at the moment, but uh, <laughs> we'll buy you a thimble ball, something like that. No, it was it, it was Pottery Studios. Oh, okay. It was, it was we'd visit a, a prominent pottery studio in whatever city. Well, you know, um. I think about this because John Bradshaw Layfield, professional wrestler, he has been trying to do the seven summits, the highest peak on every continent. I have so much respect for the people that do that. Yeah, you know, the, they say the easiest one's Africa, the toughest one's Antarctica. Yeah. And I, and I can I can 100% get behind that. Well, and actually Kilimanjaro has um, an an added complexity that some of the others don't. Lions chasing you up? It? No, it's no because it's not really close to the Serengeti. Oh, okay. Um, It'd be better. If despite lions what Toto, them up. despite what Toto said in their song, Kilimanjaro and the Serengeti are, are not terribly close together. Um, the no, because I have a a a distant relative who who did the Kilimanjaro summit. And there's a there's a parasite that lives on the that you come down and you're brain damaged, and it doesn't affect everybody, but the combination of the low altitude and whatever this parasite or this illness is, I mean it it rewires your brain, and th- that's enough for me to say no wonder they called it kill a man. Yeah, that makes makes perfect sense. Yeah, now. so I mean, so th- there's definitely some. Well, so I'd love what? to do Everest though. What is the Great Cigar Challenge? If we were going to develop the Great Cigar Challenge, we're going to talk about development because I don't think you can just declare one. Um, you know, there's things every cigar smoker should, be, should do. Every cigar smoker should go to Ybor City and sit on 7th Avenue and have a cigar and a cup of coffee on the street that was hand-rolled there, you know, mere days before. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a couple of different ultimate cigar challenges, and I know that kind of defeats the purpose, but I think it, it depends on how you approach it. Because if I were to go just off the top of my head, because I like what you said about Ybor City and experiencing kind of the history and things like that. But for me, visiting every cigar factory, you know, major label cigar factory in the country, in the world, you know, so that's mostly 
in in Nicaragua, Honduras, mostly South America. Yeah, and Central America, and you know, you get, but then you get some of, you know, South Florida. You get Mexico. You get some. I think that's doable, but challenging enough. I think you kind of have to establish because. There is a finite number of, of factories, you know, a shop that rolls their own. That's not really a cigar factory. So there's a clear definition there. And, you know, you don't have to worry about every single boutique because most of theirs are made in the Pachardo factory or the El Titan de Bronze factory or, the, or you know, so you can, you can capture a lot of brands in each factory. So that's, that's an interesting angle to go at. The joy of a cigar is who you smoke it with. So is there a, a collection of, I want to smoke a cigar with these people? You know, you got to smoke one with your father. you got to smoke one with a member of the clergy. You've got to smoke one with, you uh, know. A, a politician. A, yeah, a hooker. A celebrity. Uh, you know, but go to Vegas. <laughs> All right, baby, $150 an hour, we're smoking cigars. <laughs> <laughs> But it, you you also rent a car to have it detailed too, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I love that joke. Uh, but the um, so do you? Because the cigar is such a personal experience. Do you say, okay, I want to smoke with Jorge Padron, or um, not Jorge? Yeah, yeah, Jorge. Jorge's yeah, still yeah. alive. No, uh, Julio Orlando is who passed away. Yeah, Orlando passed away. I want to smoke with Jorge. I want to smoke with AJ. I want to smoke with Jonathan Drew. I want to smoke with... Nick Perdomo. Nick Perdomo. Do you try to... Because now that's very accomplishable. That's not as hard a deal as it sounds like, depending on what your definition of smoking a cigar see, that's exactly is. That's exactly where... You know, so my wife and I have a goal to, see it, to visit all 50 states before we turn 50. And we're well on our way to accomplishing most of that. We did before we met. You know, we had a we we brought our lists together. But when you're talking about something like that, you have to define. You so misunderstood when she asked for your number, didn't you? <laughs> you so blew that one. Did I though? Uh, the the thing with something like that is that you have to you have to define. What visit the statement? So yeah, you have to define what smoke it. Is it one on one? Because that is tough. That would be near impossible. That would be near impossible. It, you know, is it like the Prager event you went to? Does that count as having a cigar with Prager? You know, I like to think so. Yeah. So I, I think it a bit. I think I think that kind of falls more under cigar bucket list. Well, you know, to you have to be realistic with these challenges. And all, and realistically, I think if you're smoking, you know, um, Orlando Padron's coming to Cathedral when they do their grand opening. Mm-hmm. So if I was at Cathedral and got to shake his hand, say hi, and smoked a cigar there, yeah, I'd, I'd count that. Yeah, if he's holding court and you're a, you're a part of that, that counts. Yeah, you know, when I went to Madison and seen Jonathan Drew, I can I feel like I could check Jonathan Drew. I feel like I can check Nish Patel off my list. Yeah. And I'll, it, there's, it seems to me that you could check off that list. That seems to me like a great cigar challenge that's, that's eminently doable. Yeah. And, I'll, and then, you know, so, of course, the ready-made one is how many Tobacconist Association of America stores are there? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Could you visit all the TAA stores? Yeah, visit or visit a TAA store in every state. 
Or, See, yeah. we get you a twofer on this one, Trey. Yeah, there you go. If we get you a TAA store in each state, you're you're getting the two-for-one deal. Yeah. Well, and it, it's interesting you say that because it would be really, I mean, there are some states that don't have one, though. Because um, you could even go so far as to say, you know, smoke a cigar in every state, you know, for our American audience at least. And, but even that has gotten tougher now that some of the states have basically outright banned tobacco. So you better hope you go during the summer and, and can stay right. outside. Well, there's still cigar smoking going on. And uh, so, yeah, you know, what is the Great Cigar Challenge? What would be that? I, w- I want some emails from some listeners on this. I really want to know what, in your opinion, is the Great Cigar Challenge? What do you do to, to immortalize your place in the cigar history? I also think smoking a cigar from a hundred different brands. I think, I mean, you could never say every brand because there are some one-offs, there's some small, you know. But if you think like, obviously not, you know, counting Hoya and Drew Estate, you know, counting them, each is different, not looking at the parent company. There's a hundred out there. Well, you know, I wish we had an aficionado list that did not contain Cubans. Right. Because then you could say, okay, I'm going to smoke the top 10 cigars this year. I'm going to smoke the top 20 cigars this year. Right. At some point, I'm going to touch each one of these cigars in a year. Yeah. As the challenge. But the fact that they have Cubans. Means you have to travel internationally. Yeah. I kind of need a better list than that. Yeah. I kind of need... I like the idea of, okay, these are the best cigars ranked, and I'm going to smoke one of each of these Yeah, in the, in the span of this year before the new list comes out. Yeah, or, you know, or, or to, it would, be, it would be tough to be retrospective in this regard and go back to say, you know, when you started smoking or whatever. But to make the decision that from here on out, I'm, I'm going to smoke the top five cigars of the year every year from whether it's aficionado's list or somebody else's. I mean, I think that's I think that's doable too, but I don't know that that has the same gravitas that visiting every baseball stadium has. I think yeah. there's got to be a there's got to be a certain container around the challenge. That's almost too little challenge. Well, and it's not destination enough for me. Yeah. Yeah, you could, you know, conceivably you could, especially with the availability of internet ordering, you know, conceivably, if I wanted to smoke the top 25 non-Cubans in yeah. the country. You could make that happen pretty easily. Yeah, the, the same two weeks it would take, I could probably do that. Yeah. And uh, But it's, it's interesting because there really is no landmark for the, for the cigar heritage. You know, you, t- you spoke about cigar heritage. There really is no landmark for that, but... You know, there's landmark cigar stores all over the country. Right. You know, you, there's all of the places, you know, in Florida, there's the Titan de Bronze. There's all of those type places that you could do and all. But it, I, I, want, I want listener input. I want to know what is the Great Cigar Challenge. The parameters are it can't be impossible and it can't be something I could knock out in two weeks right. with a credit card and internet. Yeah, it's got to it's gotta take either a year or more. Or a significant cash flow to do it in less than a year. So let's talk about our placentias. The word is sharp. These flavors are very sharp and very clear. Now, not clean. You know, I used clean when describing another cigar. 
these are clear. I mean, the flavors that I get out of this cigar bite back. I get a lot of the the full bodiness. I'm really enjoying it. I am too. Very, very good cigar. Um, but the flavors are just very sharp. It's a, it's almost as if it's not blended so much as it's staged. I give you that. It's um, it's constructed. It's built. You know, it's. This is what a scientist. This is a cigar that a scientist would would blend. You know, it's it's a little bit from column A, a little from column B. You know, this much of that. It feels very precise in its recipe. Yeah, very master masterfully crafted. Yes, the shape I love. I I've do too. Really enjoyed hanging on to this octagonal shape. I do too. I would I would love to have it in a slightly smaller size personally. But uh, I can also see why you would almost need a 6x60 to be able to get that shape on it. The ring, ga- the ring gauge is excellent for me. Um, the feel, the draw has been perfect throughout. It's yeah. burned nice and slow. I mean, I'm, I'm going to make this one. This one's going to be a 6.5. I'm not going to make it a 7 because of the price. Right. And all. I do have to ding it half a point for price. But. When you compare it with the price of the rest of the cigars in the Placencia line, it's really not that far off. And, you know, we talk about Padron money a lot on this show, and I think that's fair in a lot of cases when we're talking about Perdomo or Drew Estate or, you know, cigar companies that don't play in that sandbox very often. Placencia is up there already. You know, their, their cigars are all 15 and above. So to make the jump to 20 is not that, for as good a cigar as this is, to be within, you know, 10, 20% of, you know, some of their other cigars. Yeah, I I, I actually don't ding them for price on this one. So what are you rating yours? I'm still at a six and a half. Um, Just because... What is keeping it from being a seven? That I haven't smoked enough other Placentias to see that this is truly the best in the line. So it's not really on them so much as it's on you. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I could that. end up revisiting and giving them the seven. Well, and we're both smoking on a little dirtier palate True. than usual. And also, I definitely need to... It could definitely get to a seven with a good, clean palate. Right. And and I'm also looking... I, I, I do... Yeah, so they make... So the Alma Fuerte line does come in other sizes. It's just the... It's just this, the 601, the 602 that, that specifically come in this size. So I'd like to, I'd actually like to grab that Solomon and yeah. give that a shot. But, all right, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast and email info at the cigarcast.com with your ultimate cigar experience challenge. Well, thank you everybody for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.